you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open it to the book of 1 Samuel. Book of 1 Samuel. And as you're doing that, if you will, go ahead and open up your worship guides to our outline for the day. And, and you'll see from the front of the worship guide that was wonderfully designed by Noah, the boss communicating intern. Uh, Noah did a great job. I love it. But we see this uh, series that we'll be in leading up to the Advent season. And that is the series called The Story of a King, which will be an eight-week journey through the book of First and Second Samuel to help you be prepared to go through such a fast-paced study of two fairly large books in the Old Testament. I need to set the stage, uh, set the setting uh, that we have. And so if you look with me there at number one on your worship guide, we want the, the setting, the, we want to set the stage for a king. And so if you're there in your Bibles, I want you to hold your place and flip to the left, two or three pages, whatever it is in your Bible, to get to Judges 21. Judges 21. And we want to look at the last verse of the book of Judges. This last verse of the book of Judges really describes and helps us understand the refrain of the entire book of Judges and the time period that the book of 1 Samuel will start in. And it's the time period of the judges. And it can be described in this way. Verse 25 of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's really the, the story of the book of Judges. It's a very dark time for God's people and for the world. It's one of the darkest periods that we find in biblical history. And it's in this time that we have corruption, we have great darkness, we have apparent hopelessness at times. And then it's just when we believe that there's no hope and there's only darkness that we find hope, that God brings light into the scene. One of the most beautiful ways he does that is through the book that follows the book of the Judges. And it's a small story that takes place in the time period of the Judges. It's my very favorite book in the entire Old Testament, the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth tells a story that takes place within the large story of Judges, a small story about heartbreak, a story of loss, a story of pain, and a story that ends up being of romance and hope. It's a story about a woman named Naomi who uh, lost her husband and she lost two of her sons. It's a story about a daughter-in-law named Ruth who's a Moabite and this lady Naomi who partner together in life and they connect to each other and hold on to one another in friendship and family. And through this little story, we end up having a romance between Ruth and a guy named Boaz. And through this little romance story, we have what will end up being the story of a new baby. A baby will be born. And the baby's name to Boaz and Ruth, we're told in the very last verses of the book of Ruth, the baby's name was Obed. 
Obed, we're told, had a son and his name was Jesse. Jesse had a son. His name was David. That is David the king. And so what we see is even in times that are dark and maybe God appears silent, we can know that he is not absent and that there is not hopelessness. But when God is there, there is always hope. There's always hope. And God purposes good. He purposes good for his people. The book of Ruth reminds us that the Lord sees, that the Lord cares, that the Lord knows, that he plans and he purposes. And our journey through First and Second Samuel will begin with another small story within a very large story. And it's a small story that we pick up on and it's about a man named Elkanah and his family. Okay, and so what I want you to do is look with me there in the first chapter of First Samuel. In the first couple of verses, we meet this man named Elkanah, who we find out that if we studied a larger portion of scripture, namely that of First Chronicles chapter six, we would find out that this man Elkanah and his family is in the line that traces back to Levi. Levi was the son of Jacob and Leah, and that places him within the order of the Levites. And if you're here and you're new to church and you're new to just even what that means, for our time today, just understand this. The Levites, the Levites were a people set apart for their loyalty to the covenant of God as it referred to Israel. And they were given watch and responsibilities over the worship of Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And they were over the order in the tabernacle or the place of worship of Yahweh. And so this guy Elkanah, he is going to be within, he is a descendant of Levi. And it is no shock that when we meet him, he is a person that is going to worship the Lord. He's making his way to a place called Shiloh for more than likely one of the yearly festivals of the people of God to remember and worship the Lord. He is going with his family there to worship God. Now, what we're gonna do though is pick up on this man in the line of Levi's and his family that's going to worship God, they're not without their dysfunctional tendencies, okay? And so let's look at these guys. So start with me in verse two. Gotta find it where I've got it blown up here. Here we go. Here it is, verse two, 1 Samuel 1. <clears throat> We're told that Elkanah, that he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. Now, from this point on, now that I have said her name, because I don't wanna be stressed out and sweating over how to say her name when I'm speaking fast, we're gonna call her Penny from now on, okay? So now we got Penny. You guys, I'm just telling you, you try to judge me, I want you to stand up here with a mic and speak over you, these hard <laughs> names, okay? So it's difficult, all right? And so one is named Hannah and the other is Penny. We are told, listen, here it is. You know how God works in his, in his word. He says, and Penny had children, but Hannah had no children. And so we're given a little insight into this family. There's Elkanah, there's the two wives. One has children, 
one has no children. Verse three, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Now, as a very side note to this, I do wanna point out that it is possible for you to still come and for you to still have a life of worship in the midst of your mess, okay? This is not an ideal situation or household. God doesn't desire him to be married to two women. He married two women. It was very normal in the times. It was not God's heart for him to do that. And I just want you to know if you're a person that sits in the room and you say, you know, the Bible's full of examples of polygamy. God must be okay with it. I just want you to know he's not okay with it. But in the stories, we see from cover to cover when we find examples of polygamy, there's never a happy situation. Seriously, it's never happy. You can't say, well, that's obviously what God wanted. No, there's never a good scene. There's always jealousy, as you could imagine. There's always favoritism, as you might imagine. There is always one who taunts, who provokes, and there is mess in the house. But even in their mess, they were going to worship, okay? For you, maybe you felt like that. Maybe not two wives in the car this morning, but you may have had two kids that were a hot mess as you were coming. And you might've felt like, I don't know how we're gonna do this, but God got you here, okay? So I'm glad that you were here this morning. I got four, they were in the car with us today and it was a mess. All right, here we go. Enough about that. Let's move on. Where in the world was I? Okay, here we go. There it is. Verse three, we'll just start back. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. <clears throat> On that day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penny, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Okay, you think, well, that's sweet. That's favoritism. Okay, so we got favoritism in the, in the house. It's not a good situation. Though the Lord, we're told, had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went, try to picture this, year by year, as often as she went to the house of the Lord, Penny provoked Hannah. That is a bummer of an experience, okay? That is year after year. That's the setting of this, uh, or the culture of this situation with these two wives and the family. We're told, therefore Hannah wept and she would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? He's clueless, y'all, come on. What a clueless dude, okay, like men. Husbands, don't be clueless like this. Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And here's the good one. Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? Yeah, we're going to mm, that in just a little bit. That's crazy. Verse nine, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And so just to put it in perspective, they, they go to worship the Lord. They bring uh, an animal to sacrifice. The animal sacrifice, the meat is cooked. Portions are given to the Lord. Portions are given to the priest. Portions are given to the family unit and they have a meal together. It's, it's really kind of awesome. They eat together, they drink together, they have a feast in the presence of this worship environment. It's, it's really awesome. 
But for this family, we've got double portions going to Hannah. We got people talking smack at the table and we have a heartbroken woman named Hannah who her husband is just talking like a foe. Okay, like what is he doing? Verse nine says, after they have eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And now Eli, the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. We're told that Hannah was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow. She said, oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She's saying this boy will be consecrated to you, to your service. And she's referring to within this setting in Shiloh. I'll give him to this household here. Verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Look, you've been there before and, and probably in prayer where your heart is broken so much that you wanna talk out loud, but it's like you can't even actually verbalize, like nothing actually comes out. It's just like your mouth's moving, tears are coming down, lip is quivering. That's the kind of situation that Hannah is in right now. And she's speaking to the Lord. She was speaking in her heart. But therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Like this poor thing, the priest, he even, he calls her out for being drunk. He says, Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put the wine away from you. He thought that she drank too much at the table. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. So first, we want to pick up in this story and in this setting to see the birth of Samuel. Really the backdrop of his birth. And in that, we can get a lot of application. There's a lot of freedom in preaching and the Lord can speak to hearts and bring hope in situations, in places that maybe you didn't expect to get it today. But what we see here is this family really is a hot mess, yet they are there uh, to worship. There is favoritism in the household. And with this polygamous situation, there's no happy situation. We have Penny who she is uh, in her mind looking at her husband and his obvious love for Hannah that exceeds that of her own. And she feels like, what, am I just giving you babies? And pretty much, it seems like the answer might be, well, in his mind or in her mind, like, yeah, that's all, that's all that I'm here for. That doesn't make you feel very special in love, does it? But instead of her going to the Lord, she doesn't go to the Lord, she takes it out on Hannah. Hannah, who is heartbroken because she desires to have children and her womb is closed. So 
It's a dark time for Hannah. It is possible that in the room today that, that there are those who this is a current situation for you. Maybe you have been there before. Maybe you can identify with Hannah. Who, think about this, even in the best of situations, when you have people encouraging you, when you have people speaking truth and loving you well, even in the best of situations, it could be possible with the desire to have a child to be provoked in your heart by seeing others around you who are pregnant or having children. In the best of situations, And here we have Hannah who is being taunted. She's being provoked by her husband's other wife. And you can just imagine what it's like. Like, man, that food sure was good. All of my kids ate really well. Where are yours, Hannah? What you praying about over there? And you can imagine, man, just how tormented that must, uh, of, of a time that must have been for her. And then listen, if you have walked in a time of heartbreak, if you've been in a place where maybe there was a desire that you had that was a main area of prayer for you and you had people around you trying to speak into your life and doing it in the wrong ways, that's what Hannah was getting. Her husband, so far from being a good counselor here, He can't stop thinking about himself here and the way it's making him feel. He speaks to her, why are you upset? Am I not, am I not more than 10 kids? Should I not make you happy because I love you? And bless her heart, she's just hurting. She goes and opens up her heart to the Lord and the priest says, oh man, we we got another drunk woman in here. I mean, Really? It's there that the Lord is going to work. It's there that the Lord is going to speak into this story. And Hannah is going to know that God, God saw her, God heard her, God cared about her, God provided for her. He planned for her life and he had good for her. He purposes good for her family. Hannah's crushed, and Penny is certainly not helping this situation. Deeply distressed, full of great anxiety and vexation. That's where we are. I want you to uh, make sure to hear this. The Lord doesn't promise to open all wombs. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise that if you desire children, that you will sure get them, that he, will, that he will bless you in that way. He doesn't promise that. But what we do know is this. He reminds us in his word that he hears and he cares. Okay? Here, God does bless her with a son. Blesses her with a little boy named Samuel. Look at verse 17. It says, then Eli answered, Go in peace and the God of Israel grant you petition that you have made to him on this day. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate 
and her face was no longer sad. We're told in verse 19, they rose early in the morning and they worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah's wife and the Lord remembered her. And in, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And as Hannah said that she would do, she, after the boy is weaned, on that next time that she comes, she brings her son to the tabernacle. She brings him to the tent of meeting there at Shiloh. We're told this in verses 21 to 23. Verse 24 tells us, and when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with the sacrifices that she would bring. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. And she gives him a testimony of an answered prayer. She said, for this child, I prayed and the Lord has granted me petition that I made to him, my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. It's here that really their whole family worships. It's here in chapter two, verses one through 10, that Hannah prays one of the most beautiful prayers that we find in the scriptures. A prayer that uh, resembles very much so the prayer of Mary in Luke one. Verse 11 picks up and says, then Elkanah went to Ramah and the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. We got this little, little tiny guy now that's working here at the house of the Lord there in Shiloh, probably doing extremely simple task. And I'm sure he looks super cute doing it. But the little guy's just working there uh, in, in the, with Eli. <clears throat> we're told a little bit about the early life of Samuel and we're told somewhat about his uh, parents, we find out that Elkanah and Hannah end up having more children and we're told how sweet they are to their son, Samuel. One of my favorite parts is we're told as sad as this is, or as sweet as this is, whatever, whichever one it is, that Hannah would each year, she would make a little tiny robe and bring it to him. I like, think of how sweet that is. My, my little boy, Lewis, he's, uh, he's 17 months old. And I like to think sometimes I, the other day I took him out visiting with us. We went to the hospital and made some visits and I called him the little tiny pastor. Okay, there's, you know, got, the, got the tiny pastor with me. You know, get him, a, get him some little clothes, a little robe. Okay, you know, like that. But, but this is, you've got Samuel here in the work of the Lord and, and his mom and his dad coming and seeing him, being proud of him, bringing little robes for him. But we find out that he is growing up to respect, to honor the Lord. We see the birth of Samuel, but I want us to make sure to, to take note of the ending of an era. See, as we learn about Samuel and as we hear about his life, we find out things about him. Like, let me find it here. Like in verse 26 of chapter two. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Sounding so much like 
another young man, Jesus. Luke 2, 52, a description of him reminds us so much of Christ growing up, honoring the father. But in contrast to Samuel, the little guy in the house, we have Eli and his two sons. And his two sons, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, are said to be worthless people, okay? Now, I wanna make sure you know this. There is nobody in the world that is worthless, okay? Everybody is created in the image of God and has worth given to them based on how God creates them and loves them, okay? But these guys did worthless acts. They stole the food that people would bring to offer to the Lord and they ate it for themselves. It says oftentimes by force. They also solicited sexual acts from women who worked at the door of the tabernacle. Like these are, these are not good guys. And there in chapter two, there's actually a man who shows up, a man of God. We don't know his name, just a man of God shows up. He speaks over Eli and his household and he says that their household and the priesthood there with them is gonna come to an end. They will be replaced and these two boys will die. Chapter three picks up. And we have this word, and this helps us understand the era that we are currently in and the new one that is about to begin. Verse one of chapter three says, now the young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. God's word was rare. Part of this may have just been the neglect of Eli and his household to go to the Lord. Another part is this, is that there wasn't a prophet. There wasn't one who the Lord was speaking to at this time. The Lord was gonna raise up this man, Samuel, who would be faithful with God's word, who would speak God's word. Samuel is going to be the final of the judges. So the book of Judges, the way that it would play out would be the people would sin, they would reject the Lord. God would raise up a judge. The judge would go to them. He would speak against their actions. He would call them to go back to the Lord. They would turn to the Lord. They would worship God. Things would be awesome for a moment and then they would fall back into their sin. God would raise up a judge and the same pattern would happen. Here we're gonna have a change in this pattern. Samuel will be the final of the judges, but he will also serve as a prophet and a priest. And Samuel here will receive a calling from the Lord. He will be laying, uh, trying to get some sleep next to the ark of God where, you know, if, if, in the Old Testament, when we see the ark of God, this is really picturing God's presence with his people, okay? And there's a lamp on, which is when God would speak. And so there's a lamp on, so they're prepared to hear, even though it's rare, and the ark is there saying, this is where God would meet me and be present. Samuel is asleep there. He's asleep one night, God comes and says, Samuel, Samuel, he calls to him, Samuel gets confused. He hadn't heard the word of the Lord like that. And so he hops up, runs and says, Eli, what? What do you, what do you want? What are you, what are you trying to say to me? And Eli's got, what are you doing, man? Go back to bed. I didn't call you. And so he goes back to sleep. He lays down and he hears Samuel, Samuel. He gets up, he runs back in there. He goes, what are you trying to do to me? Like, are you kidding? Did you call me? I didn't call you. 
but I think I know what's going on now. If you hear your name called again, answer. Say, Lord, I hear you. Your servant's ears are open. He goes back in, he lays down, he hears Samuel, Samuel, and the Lord speaks to him. It is from that point that Samuel will be a faithful prophet. He'll be one that will take God's word and he will speak it to the people. We're told in verse 19 and 20 through 21, our, our last text for the day, it says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. What a great description. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, that just means from the far north to the deep south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And what we see is in the midst of this dark story in the little story of Hannah and her family, we see the Lord meet her there. He meets her in her story and her story did involve God hearing her and being with her and blessing her with this child, Samuel, who in the perfect timing of the Lord, as she was vexed and as she was anxious, she made a vow that he would be in the household there at Shiloh. That little boy would raise up and God would call to be the final judge, a faithful priest and a wonderful prophet of God, whose role is going to be namely to anoint a king. He will end up anointing, we'll talk about Saul next week, but he will end up anointing King David, who will rule and reign and who will lead us very easily to see the need for Jesus, our ultimate king. And so what I want you to do in closing the message here is I want you to see that this series is gonna teach us numerous things, but this series will teach us to find hope in the darkest of times. And, and that, that means in our personal lives, that means in our households, but it also means in the grand picture of this world and what God's doing. This series will teach us to find hope in the darkest times in his promises. Samuel is gonna be a key part of this story, but he's only really gonna play a role leading us to a promise, I mean, to an anointing of David. And David, as awesome as he is, he's only going to really serve in the big story to get us to Christ. It will be a promise given by another prophet named Nathan to David in 2 Samuel 7 that will be our key promise given in this series. And it's a promise that through his line, through his children would come one who would reign and he would reign not just for a season, he would reign eternally. He would reign forever. That being Christ. It's the promise of Christ, the ultimate king and Christ and his always and forever good kingdom. That's what will be promised. It'll be through his promises, through his word, that we will learn to, no matter what our circumstances are, know that God sees, know that he hears, know that he cares, know that he plans, know that he purposes good and ultimate good for his people and glory for himself. This series will teach us to find hope in his promises. And for you today, my encouragement would be this, no matter where you are, know this, God's promises are full of hope for people like you 
and people like me. But you can't know God's promises unless you know God's word. And so know his word. The the word here when Samuel is raising up, it, it was rare to find in those days. For you, you said, I'm telling you, the words right here as promises are given and all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. But you may have friends and people in your life and family and those who haven't heard that we need to bring his promises to in their dark time. This series will teach us to find hope in the darkest times in his promises. This series will teach us to find hope in the darkest of times in his presence. Man, just what a sweet reminder even here of God's presence with him and speaking the name of Samuel, giving Samuel his word to take that never hit the ground. God tells us in his word that he's with us and that he's for us. This series will teach us to find hope and to find power and to find all that we need in the presence of God, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This series will teach us to find hope in the darkest times, in the shadows. Like even in these first three chapters, we see several shadows. You may say, what's a shadow? Something that foreshadows something greater. We have with Samuel, even the description of him as a little boy is obvious to us that has studied the book of Luke, that that's the same words and the same phrasing of what we have to describe Jesus. It makes us think of Christ who will be the ultimate, who is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. This foreshadowing that we see, I didn't read it, but in chapter two, when the man of God speaks over the house of Eli, He says that I'm gonna replace you with one that is faithful, a faithful priest, more than likely referring to a guy named Zadok, who will be the priest at the time of David, but easily makes sense to us who understand new covenant Christianity, that we understand that no matter what priest we see in the Bible, we know that they're foreshadowing or they're pointing us to one who will be the ultimate and faithful high priest, Jesus. Hebrews chapter four tells us that since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us like Eli was. It's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time, in our time of need. This is our faithful priest, Jesus, who intercedes perfectly for his people. And we have the foreshadowing of a king. Even before we get to 2 Samuel 7, it's so awesome. It's in this prayer that Hannah gives, and I'll point you to it very quickly. The last verse of her prayer She says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt exalt the power of his anointed. She says this and prays this at a time when there's not a king in the land. Many believe that this is a messianic uh, picture. And I want you to see the beauty of the foreshadowing here that we see within these chapters, the hope of one who will come, the perfect prophet, priest, 
and King. So the point of this whole series ultimately will point us to find hope in the darkest of times in Christ, in Christ. I hope it will be a blessing to you. I believe that it will be. It will be very fast paced, but I believe it will be a wonderful time leading us to see the story of King David setting up Advent to see the King Jesus, our ultimate King, leading to the the January time period where we'll look at the kingdom of Christ. It's gonna be a fantastic few months here at Alberta. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word, your word that reminds us that no matter where we are today, no matter where we are in our households, in our circumstances, Lord, that you can meet us there. Father, I pray that we would be reminded that no matter how dark a time may be for us personally, that you, Lord, understand, that you, Lord, know about our circumstances. Lord, that you care, that when we pray to you, you hear us. Lord, that you plan and you purpose. God, may we come to you today, no matter where we are, knowing that you love us and care for us. We know this because Christ, your son, Christ, the king, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for those who are in Christ. You love us and you care for us. Even in the dark times, even in times that maybe appear that you are silent, Lord, you are never absent. You love consistently and you love with wisdom and you love with perfection. God, may we lean into you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.